You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. Quick question. Do you love yourself? Over the years, I've had people say to me, oh, I wish I could be more self-confident, or I'm lacking in self-esteem, or I'm going to take charge of my own state of mind for the sake of my children, or I'm going to do my best to focus and start living my life to the full so that I can be there for other people. Or as somebody said to me recently, I think the purpose of life is to be a beacon of love for others. I asked her, do you love yourself? And she said, of course not, don't be silly. And I asked her then, well, well, how does being a beacon of love work? You can't shine your light for anybody else if you don't feel your own light shining yourself. It's like... A number of years ago, I got a phone call early one morning from a client, the general manager of a particular organization, and she said to me, I'm finding it awfully difficult to motivate my leadership team. What am I going to do? And I said to her, how motivated did you feel when you got out of bed this morning? And she said, don't be silly. I didn't feel motivated at all. I said, well, there you are. That's the source of your problem. To be a light for anybody else, we need to appreciate our own shining light. The light within, if I can put it like that. Or as somebody said to me recently, the burning flame within, that very often thought would seek to extinguish. And yet, we all have that flame within us. It's called the real you. It is called the you that doesn't need to be bolstered by acts of self-confidence. Or the real you that doesn't need to even consider words like esteem. I wonder what that actually means. Somebody said to me a couple of years ago, oh, I'm suffering from low self-esteem. I asked him what in God's name he was actually talking about for the simple reason that thinking that you're suffering from low self-esteem is an act of thinking. It has nothing to do with who you are. The truth of the matter is that the real you this burning light that I mentioned a minute ago within, is shrouded in thought. We've talked before about how 70,000 thoughts are daily visited upon us by our stored knowledge in our subconscious mind. How what we learned during our formative years buries us in an avalanche of rubbish. It's the only way to put it. Why is it rubbish? Because here I am. It's 2021. I'm 62 years old. Thoughts that would bury my own self every day now are thoughts that I would have learned in the early 1960s. They're rubbish because they've nothing to do with the only place and time in which I can live my life, in which I can shine my light, which is the here and now. Let's get back to the key question. Do you love yourself? If the answer isn't an unequivocal yes, of course I do, then you are simply 
allowing the thoughts that have overwhelmed you for all of your adult life continue to overwhelm you. You are allowing all the misgivings that you have about yourself, and I'll clarify what I mean by that in a moment, to cloud your vision of the perfect you. What do I mean by the perfect you? Well, if you look at things from the perspective of psychology, there is what people call a superconscious. It is beyond the conscious. It is obviously way beyond the subconscious. It is the part of our mind that is the essence of who we really are. Hold that thought for a moment and look at things from the perspective of quantum physics because the essence of who you are is a spark that is part of the universe. You and I are an integral part of the universe. The universe is made up of all the little subatomic particles that flowed from the Big Bang billions of years ago, and therefore each of us being an integral part of the universe means that the universe could not and would not exist without us. And indeed we wouldn't exist without it. We're all part of one big party, and unfortunately the normal mind never makes it to the party. It gets stuck in the thought that stops us from living our lives to the full. I mentioned a moment ago that we're hung up on our own perceived inadequacies. Some people are hung up on their own perceived strengths, by the way, as well. But the point is that whether you're looking at your inadequacies or your strengths, they're all perceptions, and they're not even your perceptions. The thoughts that you have that were learned by you when you were two or three or four years old. They're not your thoughts. They are how you think about things that were imposed upon you, things that were done for you and things that were done to you when you were young and impressionable based on what other people were thinking at that moment in time. So, you know, a parent might have said to you when you were four or five years old, you know, why can't you be more like your brother? Or why can't you be more like your sister? And that left an impact on you that gives you your perceived inadequacy now. But it isn't even your own perceived inadequacy. It was what someone else said to you. And you know, they weren't present when they said it either, or the chances, 96% chance is that they weren't present because the normal mind is never present. The normal mind is buried in its own particular set of rubbish that it picked up when it was two or three years old too. So, you know, when people say to me, and a lot of people do, oh, I had an awful relationship with my parents. I blame my parents. Somebody a couple of years ago told me that he had been advised by a psychotherapist to write a letter to his mother and burn it so he could burn the past. And I said to him, what in God's name are you talking about? Your mother wasn't to blame for anything. Your mother, and I happened to know his mother, your mother was doing her best. The problem was that she was doing her best through her own fog of thought and blaming your mother now, blaming a parent now for how you feel about yourself now, is blaming the unblameable, blaming somebody who was not responsible. And I actually mean that literally because they hadn't taken responsibility for their own state of mind when they were telling you to be as good as your brother or as 
good as your sister or, or whatever nonsense parents spout at their children. And we've all done it. We've all thrown away little remarks to our children with the best will in the world. And they were just throwaway remarks to us as adults, but they stuck in the little open mind that was being formed into the person that they thought they were, the person that you thought you have become. So your bag of perceived strengths and weaknesses isn't even your bag, baby, so to speak. It is a load of nothings foisted upon you by other people who didn't know what they were doing either. Are you going to perpetuate that? Are you going to keep that up? Are you going to keep playing that charade? Are you going to continue to try to work on building your self-esteem, whatever that actually means? Are you going to continually try to bolster your self-confidence? It's another phrase that I hear regularly. Oh, I wish I could be more confident. But self-confidence is a concept. And actually, that hits the nail on the head because it's a concept that is designed to make the conceptual self feel better about herself or himself. There is you, the real you. There is a bundle of programs that you learned when you were young and impressionable that together form the conceptual you. The conceptual you is needy, it's wanty, it's continually in need of approval because it doesn't approve of itself. And if you allow it continually not approve of you, you are going to continue to not love yourself and therefore you are going to be a danger to everybody else that you claim to love. Unless I love myself I can't release the energy that is me to do my best for those around me. And I mean in this case my real best rather than the best that my friend's mother was trying to do through her fog of thought when she gave him whatever hang-ups he thought he had about himself. The key point is that anything you think about yourself is just thought. I know that sounds obvious now that I have articulated it that way, but the problem is that we are constantly evaluating and re-evaluating ourselves. We are constantly comparing ourselves to our brother or sister. We're constantly comparing ourselves to the other guy or the other girl. We're constantly thinking about our happiness and success in terms of what other people who look to us to be happy and successful look like or what they have. We're constantly involved in comparing who we think we are with who we think we think we should be based on what we think about other people and how we think they are. I wonder how many thinks were in that sentence. We need to stop thinking. For once we stop thinking, we start being. We're called human beings for a reason. We're not called human thinkings. And yet, the normal human mind is completely buried up its backside in thought, admiring the view, wondering why its life is so full of whatever. You need to stop thinking, or more to the point, you need to stop paying any attention to the thoughts that hold you back. 
you know, people say to me, oh, I know I'm getting in my own way. And you may have seen a video on my website where one of my clients says, oh, once you get out of your own way, life is so easy. And in a manner of speaking, that's actually true, but you're never in your own way. It's only your thoughts and the attention that you pay to them that stops you from moving effortlessly forward and allowing the flame that is within shine brightly and enable yourself have the understanding of being passionate about you and passionate about the life you are living in this here and now. We need to drop our baggage or actually in fact it is even less of an affirmative action than that. We simply need to come into the here and now. It's interesting, you know, that when the University of Massachusetts Medical School developed mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy in the late 1980s, the leader of that project, John Kabat-Zinn, talked about coming to your senses. In fact, he has a book called Coming to Your Senses. I was going to say I'd recommend it, but it's a very big book and it overly complicates the simple because coming to your senses actually means what it says. You have, for starters, and let's deal with this for starters, you have five senses. You can see, you can feel, you can hear, you can smell, and you can taste. As a normal adult human being, you never pay attention to what your senses are telling you. You pay attention to what you think your senses are telling you. Because say somebody says to you, oh, that's a nice shirt you're wearing today. Those words are completely meaningless to you until you give them meaning. They're only raw data. They're only sounds in your auditory system until you process them. And in order for you to make sense of the words, oh, that's a nice shirt you're wearing, you have to go to your reference library. And your reference library is the stored knowledge that you learned and what you learned about yourself and how the world works, in particular in the third year of your life. In other words, the minute you hear those words, which are real in the here and now, you go back into the past to try to make sense of something that has been said now. Think of the madness of that, because as I said a minute ago, I'm 62. In order for me to make sense of something that somebody has said to me today, where I use my mind normally, I'd go back to 1960 to make sense of something that's happening in 2021. What would be the chance of me fully appreciating and understanding what is actually going on and what that person said and what that person actually meant? The sausage machine of cognitive appraisal through which we wring everything we see, feel, hear, smell and taste in order to make sense of it is rung through that sausage machine on the basis of the mood I'm in, how I feel about myself, what I think about the other person, or indeed what I think about who I think the other person is, and what I think about myself at that moment in which I hear, that's a nice shirt you're wearing. So therefore I'll come up with an understanding I'll make sense of, or in fact I'll make nonsense of what those words mean, depending on the mood I'm in, and depending on a whole load of thoughts that are totally unrelated to what the other person has actually said to me. And I will determine that that was either an insult or a compliment, 
or somewhere in between those two extremes. If I determine it was an insult or somebody being mean and nasty to me, I will react accordingly and both our days will get that little bit worse. If I consider it to be a compliment, I will react accordingly and both our days will get that little bit better. But still we're on this merry-go-round or sorry-go-round that is created by the thoughts in my own head. I merely illustrate the point that we never pay attention to what we're hearing. We never pay attention to what we're seeing, feeling, smelling or tasting either. We always put everything that comes in as raw data through our five senses, through the process of cognitive appraisal to enable us make sense of what is going on. And obviously, as I said a moment ago, by virtue of the fact that we are using knowledge that we learned decades ago, we, generally speaking, make nonsense of what is going on and react accordingly. And everybody's day gets just that little bit worse. But at the very least, you know, we fulfil our evolutionary objective. We make it through the day. And unfortunately for 96% of people on this planet, that is their experience of life. Or more to the point, that is their experience of existence. And that is why they do not love themselves, because they're always a few steps removed from the flame within, the light that you have shining within you. When we meditate, we come to our senses. Meditation, and, and by the way, that is why John Kabat-Zinn calls his book Coming to Your Senses. When we meditate, we listen. And we simply notice what we hear. Or when we meditate and when we breathe, we feel. And we simply notice what we feel. When we practice something like the old Buddhist meditation of going for a walk to go for a walk. We simply see, feel, hear, smell and taste where we are moment to moment. And when our mind inevitably wanders, because that's what the normal mind does, again, we simply see, feel, hear, smell and taste where we are. Until you see, feel, hear, smell and taste the reality of the moment. You are always going to think that you suffer from low self-esteem. You are always going to think that you need to bolster your own self-confidence. You are always going to think that you are not worthy of your own unconditional love. But when you come to your senses, you realize that there is an enormous difference between the muddled mind that is confused by 70,000 daily thoughts. There's an enormous difference between that muddled mindedness and that clarity of mind that you experience when you do come to your senses. That clarity of mind when you do come to your senses is a window into that part of you that is your light, that is the burning fire within, that is the real you, that is your sixth sense. We all, we, we all feel our sixth sense from time to time. We have everyday phrases for feeling our sixth sense. We talk about when we're nervous, how we have butterflies in our stomach, or 
when we have something unpalatable to say, how we have a lump in our throat, or how when we're upset we have a lump in our throat. One pharmaceutical company made millions or billions probably over the years by advertising their treatment for a tense nervous headache. People talk about having a gut instinct or a feeling in the pit of their stomach. People talk about their heart fluttering. You see, we have expressions in everyday language that provide us with an understanding that there is a connection to something far deeper than who we think we are. There is a connection with something more fundamental within than what we simply see, feel, hear, smell and taste. I was talking to a client a couple of days ago about gut instinct. She was saying that she had been on a trip to New York and had wandered down to Battery Park in Lower Manhattan one morning with the intention of going across the bay to the Statue of Liberty. She got out of a cab a little bit away from where the huge queue was and there were a load of ticket touts selling tickets that would enable you to skip the queue and loads of people were buying them and she knew, she said, I had this little feeling deep in my stomach. She said it was a tiny little feeling. It was almost a little voice whispering to me. This is a con. This is a scam. Don't buy the ticket. But she said, my thinking mind. <laughs> yeah, how dangerous is it to listen to your thinking mind? She said, my thinking mind said to me, oh, go on, everybody else is buying the ticket. So she paid her $42 and threw her $42 away because, of course, it was a scam. She got up to the top of the cubes, told <laughs> you bought that, did you? Now, as she said, there was something inside that was telling her. There's something inside us all that is telling us what the right thing is to do and what the wrong things are not to do. What the right decisions are that we should make. What the solutions are to our problems. What the right course of action is. We rarely hear it. And when we do hear it, we normally overthink and do the opposite. There's a phrase I hear regularly as well from my clients. Oh, I'm very good at overthinking. You know, it's like, it's like as if they're telling me something new because all I ever respond to anybody who says that is, oh, you're normal. That's how the normal mind works. Of course you're overthinking. But in overthinking, you are completely divorcing yourself from the real you, from your gut instinct. Or let's be more correct about it the fundamental you that is an integral part of the universe. And because it is an integral part of the universe, when you begin to release that energy within, you begin to effectively play with the energy of the universe. Uh, and this isn't some fanciful idea. This is what quantum physics says in describing how the universe and our world actually works. Look at it from the perspective of the University of Chicago that over the decades has said that the normal mind buried in thought can only release 1% of this essential self. And therefore, the normal mind can never play in the energy of the universe at all. And therefore, the normal mind si simply gets the same non-return on the same non-investment in one's life day in, day out. Turning up to your life 1% is not turning up at all. That's not living, that's existing. But when you train your mind 
to come to your five senses. What you do is unleash your sixth sense, the essential you, the essential you beneath the thought that has been holding you back. Once you begin to feel and experience who you are, and maybe I need to explain that very briefly. I, I, I've a, a, a client in, in Germany and when I met her first she said to me, oh I understand this completely. I mean she's a scientist so I gave her all the science and indeed even accountants and tax consultants need the science. I gave her all the science and she said when I met you first I fully got what you were talking about. I fully understood and it changed my life or at least at the time I thought it changed my life. She said but a couple of weeks later I felt it and now I know it and now I know that it has fundamentally not changed my life but allowed me to discard the half-life that I thought was living and freed me to start living my life to the full. When we meditate, sooner or later, and for some people, by the way, it happens on the first day they meditate. I have one particular client who I spent a day with in Dublin about seven or eight years ago, and he went home to his wife back in the west of Ireland after our day together. He walked into the door and she said to him, what did that guy do to you? She said, you're a totally different person. And of course, I did nothing to him. He did it all for himself, not to himself. He allowed what was inside out, completely changed his perspective on who he was in one day. And in fact, it actually all happened in the space of about 20 minutes, just after lunch, on the afternoon of the day we were together. So for some people, it happened straight away. For others like myself, originally an accountant, tax consultant, a cynic, a skeptic, I had to learn slowly, diligently, through meditating every morning. Until one morning I was sitting there and suddenly I knew. And once you know who you really are, there's no going back. It doesn't mean that you won't trip up and fall in thought again. It doesn't mean that you won't react and misbehave yourself. It doesn't mean that there'll be no more challenge or stress in your life. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. But what it means is you know how you can deal with those bad things. You know how you can avoid stress because stress is a trick of the normal thinking mind. What it means is you begin to understand the kind of life that you can have. You begin to understand the kind of presence you can bring to bear on what you do moment to moment so that you always do what you need to do to get to where you want to go and you always avoid what you should not be doing. And uh, indeed, if I were using my mind normally, I'd be constantly doing what I should not be doing. It's called reacting to what we think is going on on the basis of who we think we are. You discard all of that nonsense when you become acquainted with the light within, the flame that's burning deep inside, and the passion that you have for yourself and the life that you can lead. Once you discover that passion, of course you're going to love yourself. You're going to love yourself 
unconditionally. Imagine, imagine the freedom that that gives you. The freedom to do what you need to do to get you to where you know you want to go, which is different from where the normal mind thinks you would like to go. Very, very different. Imagine the freedom that gives you to be available for those you love. So you can actually love them rather than say, oh, I love them while you're buried in thought. And in particular, buried in thought, thinking to yourself, I don't love me, so I better pretend to love somebody else to make myself feel better. Imagine the freedom that you have when you don't need to worry about yourself anymore, when you don't need to think about weird concepts like self-esteem and self-confidence anymore. Imagine the freedom that you have to live your life to the full and live it to the full effortlessly. Because the only effort involved in so-called living is the effort of trying to trudge through the thought in our own minds. The only effort that is required in being a success is the effort that comes from thinking you need to work hard to be a success because you probably didn't ever deserve to be a success. That's all thought, that's all nonsense, and that's all gone once you experience who you really are, once you open up to your sixth sense. At the risk of boring you to death, at the risk of repeating myself, you're never going to allow what's inside out until you knuckle down and meditate every morning. Is that a contradiction to what I've just said? Surely that requires effort. Where is the effort in spending five or six minutes with yourself in the morning to make the other 23 hours and 54 minutes totally different? Where's the effort in that? The only effort in that is thinking that there's effort in that. But I tell you this, were you to sit down for five or six minutes every morning for eight weeks in a row, you're going to meet somebody who you thought wasn't there, the real you. I was talking to a client yesterday afternoon who has meditated for 14 straight days at this stage and actually for 20 of the last 21 days. And she suddenly realized when I was talking to her yesterday afternoon that she knows the kind of life she'd love to have, even though in all the decades of her so-called living up to now, she hasn't had a clue. And she hasn't had a clue as to who she really is. She knows now because she's met herself along the way, the way that we take one step at a time every morning when we tune into the universe of which we are an integral part. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-hall.com.